Welcome to Focus on Success with Fazia Costi. Our program is designed to help you with executive function challenges. Our guest experts offer perspective, experience, and ideas to improve different aspects of your life. Now, here is your host, Fazia Costi. Good morning. Welcome. Uh, I'm Fazia Costi, and today I have a very special guest. Her name is Dr. Jennifer Cunningham, and um, she is past student of mine, actually. She's has a very special place in my heart. So thank you for coming onto the show today, Jennifer. Oh, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to talking to you because you um, you've you've done so much with your life. You you've become so successful and I'm so happy for you and so thrilled that you have the success that you have. And what I would love for you to do today is share with our listeners uh, your journey to success. Um, the successes and failure factors that play into uh, achieving success in anything. And you clearly can be successful in anything you do. You've, you've proven that. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your education and your background. If you don't mind, I'd love to start there. Sure. So my uh, background is um, in uh, actually IT. So I started out in the information technology field, uh, I have an associate's, bachelor's, master's in information technology. I have another master's in uh, leadership and then a doctorate in education where I emphasized in um, instructional design for online education. Um, so I had really focused in the beginning of my career in information technology um, and then took a turn at some point where I um, I really liked the aspect of teaching technology more than I liked working at tech, in technology and wanted to focus on developing courses um, to teach the future de- generation technology um, and how to utilize technology in the business world. And so um, I changed directions at that point and started to learn about how to train, um, and I was already teaching, I was already a professor, um, but really developing those courses um, to better train um, students and went into that PhD role. Well, that is very impressive. And you were going to say something else as well? Go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say is at the same time, uh, teaching, working, um, and, and learning all at the same time. Which is Amazing. You've, you've done a phenomenal job, I have to say. Uh, I'm very impressed by um, how much you've accomplished in the short amount of time that you've, you've done it. You've done just amazing stuff with your life. Tell me, what motivates you? What, what gets you up in the morning? What, what makes you excited about learning and, and doing the things you want to do? So I think it's two things. I think it is, first, I'm, I'm extremely curious. Um, I read about everything, anything, Um, even if it doesn't apply to what I do, um, I find that I'm reading about it. Um, And so that curiosity drives me to continuously learn um, about everything and anything that I can get my hands on. And it could be reading it, it could be watching a video on it, um, and it could be something as, as off the wall as to why, you know, balls bounce, and then trying to apply that theory to what I'm doing. Um, I think that's one thing. And then the other thing is, is that I love challenges. 
uh, whether that challenge is a work challenge, whether that is a education challenge, um, or that is a physical challenge, I am driven by the challenge itself. Um, and those two things combined, I think, have really driven me in my life to really push myself beyond what a, a typical bar would be in anybody, uh, with anybody. You know, at 28, I graduated with my uh, PhD, and that's kind of unheard of for most people. I mean, there are people out there that think about, oh, maybe I'll get a doctorate someday, and they start during that someday. But at a very young age, I knew I wanted to be, I wanted to get to that point in my life. And it kind of went of, well, I finished my bachelor's degree. Why not go for my master's degree? That just makes sense. And that seems really difficult. So why not do it now? And then once I finished my master's, it was kind of like, well, I've gotten this far and it seems like the next logical sense and it's going to be really difficult. So that sounds really cool too. It just seemed like a natural logical progression for me because it was the next challenge. And I was so curious about what that challenge would be like and how difficult it would be. Um, so those two things have really pushed me to be successful. Wow. That's, that's pretty uh, incredible. That's really awesome. And uh, so how do you define success? Everyone defines success differently. What is your definition? I think my definition is probably very um, different than most people because success for most people is being able to achieve something once. Um, and they're like, woohoo, I did it. And um, therefore, I'm successful. But I don't think that I've ever saw myself as really successful, I just think that I'm on a journey um, because success means it's the end and you're at that end point. You, you go to the Olympics and you get your gold medal and that's the end. And And for me, I think that um, I'm never at that end point or I'm at that success point because there's always something better. There's always another challenge ahead. And so I'm always looking for that next um that next edition. So um, I, I wouldn't say so much with my education, although I, if, if you asked me, I'd probably go back to school again. Um, but there's, you know, a lot of cost associated with that. Um, but I would say that I definitely continuously learn um, and go for a certificate or go for a training on something. Um, so, you know, if I'm a successful, uh, had successfully finished my education, yes, but I'm continuously learning. I'm continuously setting the next bar, making it higher, learning something that I don't understand, I don't know. So uh, I think that the success for me is that continuous progress or progression towards something, and that's how I would define it. I think if you finish something and then don't do anything, I think you're unsuccessful because you've stopped. And that's not success to me. No, I definitely agree with you. I think success is definitely moving forward and maybe getting your master's degree is one level of success, but then you want to use that knowledge. You want to use that information to do something else and take you to the next level. Right. And for you, you've continued on your education, but you've also continued on your journey uh, with your employment. Yes. And, and what does that look like for you? Like when you first started out to where you are now. Yeah, yeah when I first started out, uh, I was started in the IT field. And it's interesting because I started 
uh, as part of a small group that uh, was all men. And um, being the only female, uh, it was uh, definitely an interesting. Uh, and it got to a much larger group, uh, 36, I think, when I left. And uh, then I moved into training and education from there and uh, teaching. Um, all the way up to becoming um, a professor, an instructional designer, and eventually a dean at a college. Um, And that was a lot of fun. Um, You know, when I was a dean, I started developing programs, competency-based programs. Um, I learned a lot about the constructs of competency and why it's important and putting those, you know, those attributes of uh, workforce and why we need to know what's important in our workforce and apply that to to education, uh, especially college education, why you need to know, um, you know, the outcome of what you need to do at work and apply that to, okay, now, education in college, let's get you to that workforce outcome, um, where before we hadn't done that. Uh, we were not, we were teaching the accounting 101 and what we've always taught accounting 101. But here we're saying to let's bring in the accountants and see what they do on a day to day basis. And then let's teach towards that, because that's what, what workforce ready looks like. Uh, and that was new. And that was uh, phenomenal uh, as far as innovation was concerned. Um, and then I decided it was great. It was new, uh, but I wanted a different challenge and I wanted something really challenging. And I decided to move into corporate training. Um, and so I moved to a new organization and to um, training on software. So I went back to my IT roots and um, entered into supply chain and um, into teaching. Uh, well, I'm not teaching itself. I'm helping develop force. Um, training for supply chain. And um, and that was a huge challenge. It continues to be a huge challenge because you're dealing with a completely different methodology. Um, and it, and again, it, it continues to be a, a challenge on my thought process um, and on my, my um, on, on things that I thought I knew on how to do. Um, I, I'm learning new again. Um, and I'm learning from people um, in the organization. Um, and I love it. I crave it. Um, so again, back to that success is um, the fact that I'm learning is is making me successful. That's wonderful. And I want to back up just a little bit. You talked a little bit about competency-based education. And I know that you actually explained it because I know what it is. I know you explained it. But would you mind explaining what competency-based education is compared to traditional education? Yeah, sure. So in competency-based education, um, what we do is we look uh, to the job market. We look to the employers. We look to people that are actually in the positions we want our students to be in. And we bring them in, groups of them in, and we ask them, what do you want these students, what do you want these employees to be able to do when they're finished with their education? And they give us a whole bunch of things that they want them to do, but they're very concrete things. They're not theoretical, but things they need them to actually be able to do in the workplace. And so we take them back and we break them down into 
uh, assignments. We break them down then into learning objectives. And we're actually able to break them down to the point where we're teaching them those skill sets. We're assessing them on those skill sets. And then we can actually position them back into the workforce saying, you said you needed them to be able to do these things. Here, we can show you they can do these things. Uh, And that makes them much more hireable in the workforce. Where in a traditional education, what we do is we look at them and say, uh, professors, what do you need them, you know, what, what theoretical or what things do you think that they need to have? Um, and that might be a subject or a, a learning objective. Uh, and that might be five or 10 things that they think that they need to have or learn. Uh, and then we assess them on those learning objectives. But we're not looking for that do aspect. And, and to some degree, there are attributes of that in the learning and they're in the assessment, but not to the, to the point where we're going to the field and we're directly looking at that work field and bringing that back into the training. And that really, from a, from a core standpoint, really is what divides a competency-based program uh, from a traditional education. The other thing is, is that that's really good about a competency-based program is if you've worked in that field for a period of time and you know these particular attributes, these, these things, you can do them already. We can assess that and you can pass that assessment and we give you credit for it. Uh, and that's a really positive aspect where in a traditional program, you have to go through the process anyway. You have to just go through the process. It's a time. You have to, the Department of Education or, you know, um, the college makes you sit in the seat for X amount of time in order to receive that credit. And in competency, we're saying, test out, show us you know this, and then you move forward. We're not going to make you sit in seat time. And that is really at the core of, of either program. And it makes it really nice for the student because then they can go through uh, a program much quicker because they already have that, that knowledge. And Correct. you as the school value it. Yes, exactly. We're acknowledging that you have a valuable knowledge that you can demonstrate that you know, and there is no reason that we can't give you credit for that. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about what are some of the things you wish you knew before you started college, before you went to college? What, what are the things you wanted to know? If, if you were going to look back from your perspective now. So I think some of the things I really would have wanted to know is uh, first, um, how to listen. Um, I had, um, you know, I think most students going into college think they know everything. Um, I think it's just a trait of being an 18 and 19 year old. Um, And I listened, I heard a lot, did not listen nearly as much. And I wish somebody would have sat down and said, take the time to listen um, to both people that you agree with and people you disagree with, but listen more to the people you don't agree with. And here's why. At some point in your career, you are going to have to listen a lot to the people who disagree with you. And then you're going to have to turn them into your biggest advocates in your organization. And that will be a treasured skill that you will have for the rest of your life. Um, it, it really is. And I think people now, and I did for sure, as a young, um, as a young student, did not listen very well and did a lot of I know what I'm doing and did not take the time to hear 
truly hear what they were saying. And uh, it was, and in that I made a lot of, I stumbled a lot, a lot of, I did a lot of stumbling that I didn't need to do in early in my um, education in my career. So that would be one thing that I I would definitely um, give advice on people who are starting uh, in college and definitely to myself. Well, you know, that's absolutely wonderful advice. And, and sometimes I think even as adults in the workplace, we should take that advice. You know, I'm sure there's times I don't listen as well as I should or, or could, you know, I, I think that's a very important skill to have. And, and I don't think I hear very many people talk about it. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about failure, you know, um, We've all failed at something, but it's how you define failure and how you basically turn that around and create success out of it that's important. Can you maybe talk a little bit about your definition of failure and maybe talk about a specific example of maybe when you failed and then turn that around so that it became a success for you? Yeah, so I... I want to say that I fail all the time, but I don't really call it failure. I look at it as um, I have a lot of experiences. Um, and <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, some experiences are good, and some experiences have taught me a lot of things not to do in the future. And I think that really people need to look at it that way, is that when things do not turn out the way that we think they should or uh, are supposed to, that we have to look at it as an experience. Uh, We have to figure out what happened, that it didn't turn out correctly, and then figure out how to adjust accordingly. Um, Or, you know, maybe it's not adjusting. Maybe it's starting from the beginning. Um, And I think that is part of the process. Um, I I always like that um, that iceberg, right? Uh, The iceberg picture that you see all the time where you see the top where it shows the success part of it, but the bottom part where it shows all the the pain, the sweat uh, that goes into making the top part where it looks really nice and successful. Uh, That's where you get the experience. That's where you get the failure, uh, as you would call it, or everything else that goes into it where you're trying over and over and over again. Um, and I think that when people look at it as failure, that's really where you're seeing them quit, uh, because they look at it from a failure perspective where people look at it as an experience. That's where you see them start over, try again, and then again and again until they succeed or get to that point of, all right, now how do we move on to the next level? So as far as my many experiences that I have, um, you know, I think that maybe the biggest one that I can think of um, is actually when I was doing my doctoral dissertation, um, the pre-proposal of my dissertation took about a year. It was very difficult for me to do um, because it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be easy. Um, 
And so I went through the whole process. I had it approved by uh, my mentor, uh, took it to the dean of the school, and she called a, a meeting with me, which was highly unusual at that point. And she asked me if my mentor had approved it. And I said, yes. And we went through it. And she said, you have to start over again. This is, you cannot go on with this study. And I said, can I modify it? Is there something else that I can do? And she says, no. She said, this is not going to work. Every, it, it's just not going to work. You cannot do this. And I said, it took me a year to do this. The, the research, the, the questions, the hypothesis, every, it took me a year. I, I've talked to my mentor over a year about this. Every step of the way, she's approved. And she said, no, you have to start over. I, I would say that a lot of people uh, in my shoes probably would have quit, honestly. They probably would have quit at that point in time uh, after a year. Of working on that, that that was a huge moment. Uh, sure, but I started again. I just okay, uh, we'll do it again. And so um, I was assigned a new mentor. I uh, had a fantastic second mentor. Um, not that my first one wasn't, you know, great, but got a second mentor and started again. Took another year to create my pre-proposal and it was fantastic. It was better than the first one. The idea was fantastic and wrote it all out. And, um, you know, it was approved. The second one was approved and moved on to my dissertation. Uh, but I have to say that that was probably the most difficult moment from a failure or an experience perspective of my life. Um, but I got through it. I got through it. I persisted. I was able to move forward, um, not without a little heartache, but definitely move forward. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm really glad that you did. I, and I love the, the way you describe things as experiences, because that, that's kind of how I see things too. And when I work with students, I always tell them, you're going to either learn that something works or that it doesn't work or that you like it or that you don't like it. And if you decide you don't like it, it's an experience you don't want to have again. Right. <laughs> or if you like it, it's an experience you want to have again. And you, you're going to go that direction. So those experiences help define your path, in my opinion. Absolutely. So would you, yeah. Would you agree with that? <laughs> so, yeah. I do. And I think that if you don't have those negative experiences, too, I mean, we, we all have the thought process that we are defined by our experiences, negative and positive. Our personalities, our motivations are all defined by those experiences. So we have to have those experiences, those negative experiences. We have to have those failures in order to be successful in life and be able to move forward. Because if we're not taught how to fail, how and and sometimes it's failing big like with my my you know pre-proposal for my dissertation i failed hugely uh, had i not learned that i would have not learned that grit of how to you know to deal with it emotionally how to pull my bootstraps up and move forward because mm-hmm. now as an employee when projects do not work out the way that I want to. And I've put a year into a project. Uh, I have a project now that I've been putting four and a half years into, and it looks like I'm going to have to cancel the whole project. That's a huge, huge, uh, I'm not going to say failure, but that's a huge um, thing to deal with emotionally. But I've dealt with something like that, that I've put a lot of work into. And I'm okay with that because I, I, I have 
dealt with that in the past, I can, again, pull my bootstraps up and I can move forward, reconnect and figure out how to then push the project in a different direction. So we learn from those experiences and then we learn how to apply that to new experiences and then move forward. So there, those things are essential to uh, how we do things now and then how we do things in the future. And so, yes, it's it's important that, you know, students learn that, yes, I don't want to happen again, but they also, it's important to learn how to apply principles and emotions and also, you know, processes, because those things become essential in the future when you go into the job market or maybe even continue your education on how to apply those same skill sets of, oh, I did that again, uh, different setting, different time. How did I do it before? Oh, I did this because uh, that's how I processed it. And I could apply that same process again here. And do you have an actual process that you use when you have something that doesn't work out for you? Uh, like you said, you've got this project that you've been working on for several years. It's not going the direction you want to take it in. What is your process for um, reevaluating it? What is your process for deciding if it goes forward or not? Yeah, so I do a lot of uh, reflection. So we start with really a reflection of, you know, what what did what went well, what didn't go well. Um, and then futuristically, what do we need to move it forward? And it's, it's really a combination of the right people. And that would be the other suggestion. Surround yourself with the right people, with the right minds. Uh, that's essential. You're one person, which is the other thing I've learned uh, in my years, uh, is that uh, you don't know everything. So surround your yourself with people who know the other pieces of the puzzle that you don't know. And so leading projects, small and large, are huge tasks, in whether it's a project at school or a project in organization, and you don't have all the pieces to the puzzle. So surrounding yourself with those people and then reflecting with those people. What did we do right? What were the right pieces that we had in place to start this project? What did we do wrong? What are the wrong pieces that did not fit right? What, what could we have done better on those pieces? And then next time, let's, let's say next time is in a month. We're going to try this again. Next time, what do we repeat? And then what don't we repeat? And then what are the things that we have to, when we don't repeat those things, what do we try again? And then that's the process we follow over and over and over again until we get it right. And it can be something as simple as, we tried it too fast. We tried it too slow. We didn't have enough budget. And sometimes it's just making sure that those, those pieces are correctly put together. And your team, those are the ones that are going to help you. Those are going to be your advocates to help you make sure you get everything put together correctly. Thank you very much. I, I love that. Um, I think that's, that's a wonderful process that you use. And I think it's, it sounds like you use it repeatedly so the process works for you. And that's important is also find a process that works for you. Yes. Um, we are going to take a break in a couple minutes here. Um, so normally I, I ask if uh, anybody has any kind of um, website or email that they'd like to share at this point. Do you have anything that you'd like to share? Um no? Okay. No. So and that's totally fine. I just thought I'd offer that to you. Um, we're gonna um we're going to take a break in a couple minutes here, but before we, we do that, um, let's talk a little bit about some of the skills that make you stand out. What helps you su- become successful? 
Uh, skill sets. Um, I am very organized. I have lists everywhere. Um, I think writing things down um, is essential um, to being successful. Um, otherwise, you become overwhelmed and you're holding everything into your brain, um, which overwhelms your brain. And so in order to be successful and um, making sure that you have everything in place is definitely that uh, ability to write, you know, writing everything down, making sure that you, you're putting it down so that you're not constantly thinking about it in your mind. Wonderful. Um, I would agree with you. I think um, that's, that's a very important thing for um, anybody who wants to be successful. And we're going to come back in about a minute after this break. Um, and if you are interested as a listener in getting in touch with me, feel free to go to executivefunctioncoachaz.com. And you can also, um, you can either send me an email um, and request a free consultation, or you can also go and register for our upcoming magazine, Executive Function Magazine. And um, when you register for that magazine, make sure that you go back and validate your email. And we'll be back after these messages. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you are struggling with organization, time management, or other executive functions, Bozzi Acosti is ready to put you on the path to success. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Bozzi works with in-person clients at her Phoenix, Arizona office or with clients anywhere across the country remotely. Mention that you heard this ad from the Focus on Success radio show and receive a free initial consultation with Fazia, plus $50 off an intake evaluation, a $300 value. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com or call 480-648-1122. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Focus on Success. To reach Fazia Costi or her guest on the live show, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Fazia at executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Now, back to Focus on Success. Hi, welcome back. Um, I'm Fazia Costi, and today we are speaking with Dr. Jennifer Cunningham. We're talking about her journey to success, the successes and failure factors that play into achieving success in anything. Uh, welcome back, Dr. Cunningham. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you know, I'm really enjoying our conversation. You you always um, 
are fun to talk to. And, and this is just a wealth of information. So thank you for that. I would love to spend um, some time talking a little bit about how you see training and education changing in the future. It's, it's such an evolving field. And training and education, I mean, they're not necessarily one and the same. They're two separate, yeah. but they're they're merging, it seems like. So let's can we talk a little bit about how you see the future of training and education? Yeah, so training and education really are evolving and uh, almost merging at this point. Uh, I think two things are happening is the job market itself is in need of employees quickly. Um, the IT um, market as well, I mean, it's always fast. It has been since the 90s, since I started in information technology. Um, it moves fast. The technology grows at a rapid speed. Um, and in the in the late 90s and early um, 2000, what we saw is a series of um, institutes coming up with really quick training boot camps to get people who didn't have a four-year college degree out there um, with training and programming and basic IT skills and companies were eating up those individuals to make sure that they could were employable. employable. Uh, at the same time, factories were shutting down and were sending them to these different boot camps and technical schools. And uh, it was fabulous from my perspective. It was absolutely fabulous because the individuals were, the, the students, the learners were getting trained on skills that the employees needed. And the employees were getting trained in a skill set that they could grow into the companies and learn more. And if they wanted to go back to a four-year college and learn more, that was perfectly fine. But they didn't need a four-year education in order to obtain a job or a skill set. What I see happening is two things. First, our trade skills, um, our tradesmen, um, we went into this mindset for so many years that you had to have a four-year education um, a, to, in order to be employable. And our trades have really suffered because of it, because everybody went and got a student loan and went to a four-year college. And so our, our, our trades, our carpenters, our plumbers, our welders, they just didn't have as many. And so for training, I see a lot in the future of those markets really starting to excel. And I hope they do, because those really are the type of individuals, those are the type of employees that we really need to start to see grow. The other thing is, from an IT perspective, what we need is more boot camps. Again, we need to see more individuals get trained very quickly and put into the job market. We don't necessarily need four-year degree programs. And I'm not saying that college education is not needed because we do need four-year institutions. They are important to the economy. They are important to education, to students. There is a there is definitely a need for college education. So I don't want a ton of emails from people saying that I don't support four-year <laughs> education because I do. I am a product of a college institution. What I'm saying is, is that there is a need, there is a market for individuals to go through these type of training programs uh, to help fuel the, the economy and help fuel the market. And people need this type of training also to get jobs. Um, we have seen a lot of acceleration into the SaaS market, into the cloud market, um, and the the 
the cloud um, programming, um, it, it's amazing the technology that they're coming out with, but it doesn't require a four-year degree to figure out. Um, some of the products, they're giving away the training for free uh, and giving sandboxes away for free. Um, and I, that's really where I see the market going is that we need employees to be able to do this kind of stuff. Uh, we need them out there quickly. We need them to be employed by these um, different companies. And the best way to do that is to quickly train them, use competency-based education, frankly, and uh, train them and get them into the organizations. If they want to get a four-year degree afterwards, then get the companies to help them get a four-year degree. And a lot of companies are already doing that. You look at Amazon, you look at Walmart, they're already offering to pay for bachelor's degrees once they're in those organizations. So why not use that model instead? So that's really where I see it going in the future and it really where it needs to go in the future. Thank you. Wow. That, yeah, I, I honestly did not see some of that coming. Uh, I didn't realize, <laughs> well, I'm not in the IT field. So it was kind of interesting to listen to you talk because I was like, oh, that's interesting, you know, and I'm sure that a lot of people might feel that way. It's it's not where we all spend our time, you know, it's not what we all think about. Um, what advice would you give somebody trying to enter your profession, whether it be IT or education? What advice would you give them? Yeah, I think for really anybody entering um, most professions, I would, um, in all of my experience, um, I would say two things to really learn about. Uh, first is project management. Um, uh, in any field, um, I would say learn to be or learn about project management. The second thing is learn change management. I think in any field that you go into, those two skill sets are so valuable. You need to learn how to manage a project. Um, I think no matter what um, what department, what um, what's what whatever field you go into, you're going to have to manage some kind of project at some point. Um, and then you're going to have to learn how to change people's minds on why it is that your product, your project will be successful in that organization or why they should pick your product, pick your uh, process, whatever it is. But you have to learn how to change everybody's mind. Um, and those two skills are essential. Um, and so I would say that those two are definitely things that I would suggest um, because they will be pivotal to be successful in any organization, in any kind of career. Well, that is absolutely wonderful advice. Thank you. And I would agree with you. I think those are the two most important things as well. Absolutely wonderful. Um, now, we had a couple of fun questions at the end here. Um, and, and we do have quite a bit of time left. So if you want to talk about something else, we can talk about something else as well. But one of the questions we had in here is if you had a superpower, what would it be? Yeah, I would love to travel at the speed of light. Um, and there's a reason. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, let's hear it. I want to know why. (laughs) Um, I, um, love to travel. And so um, in general, and I um, love to see different places. And so being able to travel at the speed of light would get me there faster. <laughs> and well, doesn't so, that go back to your initial point of being curious and wanting challenges? Yes. 
So <laughs> I could be in Peru and see everything in Peru, and then I could end up in Italy. And so being able to travel at the speed of light would give me the ability to see all the places I want to uh, and travel there really, really fast. So that would be my superpower. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, I, I'm just curious what you think about, um, you know, traveling and the importance of travel, actually, why would, why would people want to travel? What's important about travel? I mean, so I know why I think it's important, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are. So I think that traveling um, is essential so that you can really immerse yourself in the different areas um, that you hear about, uh, that you read about. Um, I have been to a lot of different places that I didn't even know existed until I was there. Um, things like, you know, you read about Shakespeare, but how many people have actually gone to the Globe in London? Um, I've been there and I did the tour and, and had the opportunity to listen to the stories about um, why people, um, how they got to the Globe, uh, you know, walking over the different boats um, by foot to get to the Globe, how it burnt down several times because they would shoot off um, different, um, you know, different or, or they would put on the lights in the evening. So they had to stop doing evening shows because they would burn it down all the time. And, um, and then the Puritans stopped them from being able to do shows. Uh, and then when the, the Kings outsted the Puritans, they came to America. And that's how we ended up with the, the Puritans. I never knew that. They don't teach that in the history books. Um, and so you really get this immersion of culture. You get this immersion of history that you learn a little bit as you're going through elementary school and middle school and high school, but then you go to the places um, and you learn about these things. You know, we, I went to um, Stonehenge um, in, in England as well, and you think it's just these rocks, right, that are stacked up and it's really nice and you get there and you're like, it's just rocks. But then you see the burial um, mounds and you realize it's a burial site and, um, and that it's a sanctuary, you know, a religious sanctuary. And then I remembered where I grew up near Moundsville. And in Moundsville, there is a mound. And so the mound is not just in, in England, it's in Moundsville, West Virginia. And so you kind of start to think, okay, so this isn't something that just happened in England, but in fact, it comes back to the United States. And you start to think about, again, that curiosity, that constant researching, how does this happen? What, how did two places across the sea have the exact same burial ritual? How does that relate? So of course, then I want to go take a trip back home and see what happened in Moundsville? And obviously that's where the name came from, Moundsville, West Virginia, because there was this huge burial sure. mound. Uh, so that is why it's essential because we learn about things that happen and how they relate and how you, know, uh, uh, how you can then internalize it, reflect, and then how it applies back to you and your life. And we're only here for a limited amount of time. And so we want to be the best that we can be and traveling and learning and teaching this on. So I'm, I am teaching this knowledge out to your, your audience and I'm telling them that this is not something, these mounds are not something that is just in England, but here in the United States, go research that, find out why. Uh, I'm imparting that knowledge, not only to my family, but to many families now. And that's our job. 
I think, from a uh, heritage and a holistic point of, you know, point of view. Um, so I think that's why it's important is that not only do, do we learn, we internalize, we reflect, but also that we continue that knowledge. We continue to teach others uh, so it doesn't get lost. It doesn't turn out to be just this hill in England and this sure. hill in West Virginia. Right. It, it connects the two places. It gives us a deeper understanding of our relationships, our individuality and how we connect to each other. And I think our history, it's just a wealth of information and, it is. and that can be used to build on other things. It can. It, and it helps us better understand our society, uh, past societies and the future society that we want, that we want our children to have. And by teaching our children this, this and taking our children there, I took my son uh, on a trip, uh, you know, and uh, I took him to Normandy. I explained what happened to Normandy. I had him experience that. That was important for him to understand. And he'll teach his children about that. He'll teach his children about the globe and Shakespeare and everything he learned there. So that's the gift that I can impart to him. And that's the gift that we impart to our children is that Absolutely. knowledge and experience. And, and that's our job, really, is that as teachers and as, uh, you know, historians of our societies is to impart that knowledge and take them places so that they better understand what has happened in the past so that we don't repeat mistakes or experiences. Exactly. And I think knowledge is cumulative. So, the more you understand, the better you can do the next thing in your life. The Correct. more you understand about the world, maybe the better your relationships are. And, and I think it just really makes for a richer life. It does. So I, I really, yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing all that. I, I thank you for sharing your personal experience because it's, it's a little difficult to do that live on the radio <laughs> sometimes, but thank you. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, some some of your professions. Um, what other professions have you tried other than IT and education? Is Has there ever been anything else in your life or has this been it? Um, well, I mean, when I was younger, uh, <laughs> I worked at a movie theater, but uh, <laughs> I think well, other um, sometimes those off the, you know, those one-off jobs teach you something. Did you learn anything from that job? Yeah, I really don't like movies. Um, <laughs> well, see, you learned something. <laughs> well, I did. You know, it, it is funny you say that. I did learn something. So I am an avid reader, and I really don't like movies. I, even today, I really don't go to the movie theater. And I don't think it was a bad experience working at the movie theater at all, because I um, got to see the whole Star Wars trilogy and uh, many other movies. Um, you know, that was fun at the age of 15 when or 16, I think. Um, and all you can eat popcorn. Um, I don't eat popcorn anymore either. Um, <laughs> it's too much. But I, I will say that what I realized about myself is that to activate my brain, um, it is much more of a, uh, a reading. Um, I am not a audio 
uh, type of learner. Um, I don't enjoy, in fact, my husband and I will sit down to watch a movie and I will read and he'll watch the movie. Um, I, I just don't enjoy that type of um, a type of entertainment. Um, so, yeah, so it did. It may have impacted me a little bit um, working in a movie theater, but it just definitely made me realize that is not my type of entertainment. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that because I, I don't go to movies either. I don't really enjoy them. I don't have I, I don't have cable. I don't really watch TV. Yeah. But my daughter loves to go to the movies. My daughter and my mom love the movies. I would rather just sit at home and read a book. Yes. And so I, I think, yeah, so it's really important to realize what you like and what you don't like in life. And that helps guide your your future, your profession. Are there any jobs out there that you would love? to try at some point in your career? Yeah, I think that, and I don't know if I'll ever get to do it. I, you know, I jokingly say that I would have made a great attorney. Um, uh, I, I won't do it. Um, I don't have uh, any more. I don't have the gumption to go back to college uh, and I don't have the money to go back to college. So that is off the <laughs> list. Um, I think that if I ever had the chance to do something, I would go into the forestry service at this point. I love being outside. I love hiking. I love conservation. Um, I have had, I had the opportunity over the summer to go to Philmont with my son. Um, I am definitely, um, you know, the extremist, you know, even when Outside of my education and my job, I am the overachiever. You know, I went to Philmont with my son. I do races that are 24 hours. I, you know, I, I am all in challenge type of person, uh, like I said, physically too. And so when I was at Philmont with my son, they had um, some forest strangers there and we did a conservation project at Philmont and they talked about being in the forestry service. They talked about, um, obviously they're trying to recruit future rangers um, from the scouts and but they talked about a lot um, of what they do to to conserve the forests and what they do now to help stop forest fires and the work that they're doing across the United States and I thought man if I could do that right now I'm in I would love to do that. I would love to teach the the kids about conservation. I would love to show them the impact on, you know, animals, on the environment. I'd love to be out there, um, you know, out there working and helping and doing all that stuff. Um, so I think that if I would, you know, be able to do that as a second second career, that would definitely be like number one is in the forestry service. It actually sounds like a lot of fun. That, yeah. that does sound like a lot of fun. Yeah, you get to be outside all the time. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's that teaching component. So I, I, I still have that love of teaching. I, I still would always be some kind of teacher, but I definitely would be outside. <laughs> wow. Well, it sounds awesome. So we have about four minutes before we end the show. Um, I want to close out our, our show by asking you, if you were to have dinner with any three people, whether they be dead or alive, yeah. Who would they be and why? So uh, I had to think, I would have to think about, uh, you know, a couple people that I really admired. Um, so Mother Teresa was, is definitely top on that list. I, I find her work and her compassion um, really endearing to my heart. Um, she is definitely one person that I admire. Um, 
So I had the opportunity to listen to a um, um, a person come to my organization and talk about uh, some huge, huge changes. Um, her name is Inga Beal, and she was the CEO of Lord uh, Lords of London, and she made some major, major impacts at um, Lords of London as far as their diversity um, transformation and also um, from taking their organization from um, paper to digital. And those are huge transformations. And she did it in five years. I'm an amazing woman. Um, I had the opportunity to listen to her last week. And I'm just, if I could sit down and talk to her over dinner, um, I would, I mean, just... Her her talk just amazed me, um, and you know I think that anybody that moves a company that much, uh, that old of a company that much, in both of those areas, both IT wise and from a diversity uh, transformation, it just um, amazes me. Um, and I think the third person that I would want to have dinner with would be my grandmother. Uh, my grandmother had a huge impact on me um, in my life, and um, I loved her to death. And uh, one of the things that, you know, I've always pushed in my life, always the next challenge. But sometimes with that, you, you don't slow down to appreciate the small things in life. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you miss the simple conversations. And so I think that that would be the one person that I'd want to sit down and have dinner and have those one of those simple conversations with because uh, I miss well, they all, Yeah, that sounds wonderful. Well, it has been an absolute joy to interview you. It's, it's been so much fun. I really thank you for being so open and, and upfront with everything that you've offered the listeners. Um, is there any last minute thing that you'd like to share before we end our show? I think the only thing I would share with your audience is to, you know, be open uh, with yourself um, and with others and, uh, you know, find your advocates, find the people, your support system, the people that are going to be honest with you and, um, you know, keep those people beside you because those are going to be the people that will uh, be your support system throughout your life. Um, and I have those people that are my support system throughout my life. And, and those are going to be the people that help you um, go through those challenges, those experiences, and they will love you the most. Um, and that would be the, the, the words of wisdom that I would impart upon anybody. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you today coming onto the show and sharing everything that you did. Um, and if you are interested in talking to me, you can feel free to go to um, my website, executivefunctioncoachaz.com. You can also register for our Executive Function magazine. It's an online digital magazine and it is free. Feel free to go on and onto the website and register for that as well. And um, if you're interested in a um, free consultation, you can call me at 480-648-1122. And please make sure to listen next week as we talk to Ezra Ogut. Uh, Money does not grow on trees. The myths we create and live by. So we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Focus on Success. Please join your host, Fazia Costi, for another program next Wednesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Until we talk again, have a great week. 